0: Some may find this episode disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. It's the middle of the night, and your cell phone starts to vibrate and make an annoying, high-pitched noise. You grab it to shut off the noise, only to notice something that makes your stomach tighten. It's an Amber Alert. A child has been abducted in your area. There's a description of the child, the offender, and maybe a description of the car. While driving to work the next day, you can't help but look for the car described in the alert. Maybe you periodically check the news to see if the child has been found. The success of the alert is already evident because it's made you care. But why is there an Amber Alert? Where did it come from? Why are there so many laws named after children? This is the history behind the crime. Hello everyone. Welcome back to the History Behind the Crime. I'm Erin Lasley. I've been back from vacation for uh, two weeks, two weeks now, and I've finally been going through all the books that I've bought on vacay and all the notes I took for episodes that I want to do. And oh my, uh, I have a few treats in store for you because some of these are going to be epic. I have another possible uh, two-parter planned where I'm going to compare and contrast two serial killers, uh, one of which you've probably never heard of before. And that idea came to me while I was driving across Utah listening to an episode of My Favorite Murder. Shout out Georgia and Karen. And um, another idea hit me when I was on Etsy shopping for teas, and I bought a graphic tea that said, call your dad, you're in a cult. Uh, once again, from my favorite murder. And another episode came to me when I was watching a documentary on a horror movie. I did kind of want to save that one for Halloween time, but I've already got like two Halloween episodes already planned. Uh, it's just too good to wait. So that actually may hit before October. I'm really excited for them, and I'm already jug- juggling between researching and... And also knitting baby items for a special person's bundle of joy that's uh, going to arrive sometime in, in the new year. And I, by the way, I'm also joined today by Maggie, who is laying in my lap. So, um, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, it's 90 degrees up here in Washington. I was kind of laughing at people um, that I know who live in the Midwest that you know have been baking for the last I don't know 3 weeks with 90 100 degree weather because up here in Washington you know we normally stay within the 70s and 80s during July but we got hit with some 90 degree weather and a lot of people up here including me we don't <laughs> we don't have ac so um i've had the fans going and this is how much i love you guys i had to turn off the fans in order to record so i'm sweating my proverbial balls off uh yeah so you're welcome uh, uh before we jump into this week's crime i, I do want to encourage you all be nice to so uh service workers for the love of all that's holy don't be a dick uh last week or this past weekend i was at an arts and crafts store i, I was buying some uh some picture frames and the checkout line was super long, you know, which, you know, it's normally not a big deal for me because I'm not in a hurry. But dear Lord, the Karen behind me just wasn't having it. She tried to spark up a conversation with me about the long line, but you know, I'm just like ignoring her and feigning interest in the last minute, you know, purchase items that they, they put up near the counter. Uh, yeah, so I was I was doing my best to ignore her. Uh, But then the woman called the store to bitch about the long line. She's in the store calling the store. Uh, And afterwards, I just kind of of turned to to her and it's like, did you really just call the store to complain? And she does the, and says something more to the, you know, they should have more than one cashier or something like that. And it's like, haven't you ever heard of the labor shortage that's going on? You know, a little patience is not going to kill you. Which kind of made her mad. She turned like six shades of red. And I just turned my back before she can launch into like an entitled diatribe or something. Uh, When it was my turn to check out, and you only took about seven minutes in line, you know, big deal. I remember to thank the cashier, tell her that she was doing a wonderful job, being so nice and pleasant to rude customers, and that I appreciated her time. The cashier's tired face just, guys, it lit up. Like, I had just handed her a bouquet of flowers. To be fair, I was trying to piss off the Karen behind me. But the look on the cashier's face reminded me, we all need to be kind and caring to service workers. It's not their fault. There's a labor shortage. They showed up, and most of them are doing the best they can. So don't be a douche turd. Say thank you. Okay. So, for this episode, this may be tough for some people to listen to, and it is definitely not meant for younger listeners. And oh my god, are there really are some of you actually letting your kids listen to this podcast cuz I maybe you I mean, maybe you shouldn't. Uh but anyway, listener discretion is definitely advised. I I took several breaks and By breaks, I mean day-long breaks when I was researching and writing this. There was a lot of puppy cuddling time and a few hours spent watching The Simpsons in order to recover. Um, Shout out to Yardley Smith, fellow true crime fan. So, you know, it's okay if at any moment you just need to hit pause and walk away. It's okay if you just need to skip this episode too. I'm doing this episode because a lot of bad stuff has happened to a lot of great kids, and we all need to be aware that there are some monsters out there. And yes, I know you know that, but this is a reminder to take those Amber Alerts seriously. Most of us know about America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response, or more commonly known as Amber Alerts. Amber Alerts notify the public when a child 17 years and younger is reported missing or abducted in the area. These alerts come over the radio, TV, highway signs, and now cell phones. Generally, a description or picture of the child will be aired, a description of the offender, and possibly a description of the offender's car with license plate. Pretty much as much information the authorities can offer, including the direction the offender and victim were traveling and whether the offender is armed or not. These alerts have been credited with saving the lives of over a thousand children and have been implemented in all 50 states, D.C., Puerto Rico, and 33 other countries. But how did we get to the point where we blast all this information to as many people as possible? Sadly, the Good Idea Fairy didn't sprinkle her magic idea dust on someone. Something tragic occurred to make one mother put her foot down. Before I tell you that tragic story of Amber Hagerman, I wanna tell you about what life was like before 20 years ago, historical analysis time, or for some of you listeners, a trip down memory lane. Uh, As a child, I remember uh, it was very common for my mom and lots of other moms to kick their kids out of the house on a summer or weekend morning and tell them don't come back before dinner. We rode our bikes everywhere, to school, to a friend's house, to the store, around the neighborhood for hours. Sometimes uh, I would spend time at my cousin's house or family friend's house in more rural areas of Oklahoma, and we would ride our bikes to the next town. There was little to no adult supervision, and for the most part, it was pretty safe and it was fun. It wasn't that often we heard of a child getting abducted sure we we did know about stranger danger uh, and we didn't accept rides from strangers but we were pretty carefree for the most part so were the cops back in the wild west of child rearing you could report a missing child immediately in most jurisdictions but you were lucky if the police took you serious many times law enforcement would just brushed off as a runaway child, even if that child was of tender age, which is generally 13 years or much younger. Many wouldn't really jump into action unless someone saw that child being abducted. Many times it fell upon the parents or family members to form search parties, and there have been cases of parents finding their own child's body. In some cases of abducted or missing children, the police did take immediate action but it wasn't standard protocol to notify the public. The case of a missing or abducted child may make the news that night of the abduction, but by then the offender's trail had already gone cold and the child could have already been killed. After the tragic murder of Adam Walsh, which we'll talk about a little bit later, and pictures of missing children showing up on milk cartons in 1984, more people started to grow more more aware and concerned about abducted children. This is when the big stranger danger push started to happen and responsible parents in schools began to teach children about strangers who were out there and actively trying to hurt them. Now, I'm not saying people weren't concerned about abducted children before this. They were, but there was still that mindset that it couldn't happen to my child. Before 1993, there were still a lot of people, including cops, who didn't know the real dangers of child abductions and didn't know how critical time was after child kidnapping. The Criminal Division of the Washington State Attorney General's Office undertook a a three-and-a-half-year study on child abductions starting in 1993. A lot of justice organizations did, but I want to focus on the few points from the Washington study because it was so well-researched. After analyzing over 600 child abduction murders and interviewing the investigators of the cases, the study found the following. In 44% of the cases, the killer was a stranger to the victim. In 42% of the cases, the killer and the victim were friends or acquaintances. Only about 14% were parents or loved ones of the victim. In child kidnapping cases, not murder, 90% of kidnappers are parents or guardians of the child. For the killer, the primary motive to abducting a child is sexual. In 74% of the cases, the victim was female and averaged 11 years old. Almost two thirds of the killers had previous arrests for violent crimes and almost half of those were violent crimes against children. In almost 60% of the cases, Two hours elapsed between when someone noticed the child was missing and when the police were contacted. In nearly 76% of the cases, the child was killed within three hours of the abduction. In 88.5%, the child was killed within 24 hours of the abduction. This study was repeated and republished in 2006. The researchers found pretty much the same results except for one. After more killers were identified, researchers found that the killer was just as likely to be a friend or acquaintance to the victim as they were to be a stranger. To say that the first report shocked law enforcement communities is an understatement. Around the early to mid-90s, police started to take child abductions more seriously and started to mobilize as soon as they could. Obviously, there are some scary stories in towns with smaller, less trained, less educated departments, but many more police and sheriff departments realize the dangers the first 24 hours posed to a missing child. This leads us back to the Amber Alert and its namesake, nine-year-old Amber Hagerman. While visiting her grandparents in Arlington, Texas on January 13, 1996, Amber and her younger brother took their new bicycles they got for Christmas out on a ride. They were told to stay in the neighborhood, but as as children will do, rode out to an abandoned Winn-Dixie grocery store not too far away from their grandparents' house. Fearing that they would get in trouble, Amber's brother turned back, but before Amber could follow him, a man in a black pickup truck grabbed Amber, leaving her brand new pink bicycle behind. Police were quickly called and organized to find Amber and the black pickup truck. Police found an elderly man who said he had spotted a 1980s or 1990s black truck parked near the area before the kidnapping and witnessed the same truck heading away from Highway 360 after the abduction. Unfortunately, in Texas, black trucks are a dime a dozen. The police in the community searched for Amber until four days later, a man walking his dog near a creek found Amber's body. She was nude, bruised, and her throat had been cut. The search for Amber turned into a search for Amber's killer. From witness statements, police knew the killer was white or Hispanic in his 20s or 30s, under six feet tall, and had dark hair. They also theorized he must have been familiar with the area because he drove away from the quick exit out of town and the creek where Amber was found was in a secluded area. After 26 years, Amber's killer remains at large, despite the massive amount of tips the police received. Police are hoping new advancement in DNA DNA technology could lead to Amber's killer. I normally save this for the end of the podcast, but if you have any information on Amber's murder or know someone who does, please contact the Arlington Police at 817-575-8823 or Crime Stoppers of Tarrant County at 817-469-TIPS. If you feel uncomfortable going to the police, you can contact me at the, history behind the crime at gmail.com or Instagram. At the history behind the crime. Someone out there knows something. You may not, but you may know people in Texas who do. Share Amber's story with them. Shortly after Amber's death, a local Texas mom, Diana Simon, grief-stricken by the kidnapping and murder, began to think if radio stations could broadcast weather and civil defense bulletins, oh. Why couldn't they broadcast missing children alerts? Diana contacted local radio stations with her alert system idea, and they quickly got on board. Later, in 1997, the Amber Alert System went into effect in Texas, and the first successful Amber Alert took place in 1998 when an 18-year-old drug addict babysitter kidnapped an 8-week-old baby. The baby was recovered and safely returned to her parents. In 2003, President George W. Bush signed the Protect Act, which established a national criteria for the Amber Alert and set up a national Amber Alert coordinator with the U.S. Department of Justice. In 2013, Amber Alerts started to come through cell phones via wireless emergency alerts from FEMA. As of January, 2022, Amber Alerts have saved the lives of 1,085 children. So do me a favor and do everyone else a favor. Whenever you hear an Amber Alert, take a moment to read the information and open your eyes and ears when you're around town. You could see something that could save a child's life. Don't worry about memorizing the police number. Call 911 directly. Unfortunately, Amber isn't the only murdered child with a law named after her. There have been several. While researching this case, I came across Code Adam, named after Adam Walsh. I knew of the Adam Walsh Child Protection Safety Act, but Code Adam was something I never heard before. I think most of us know Adam Walsh was the son of John Walsh, the creator and host of America's Most Wanted, and probably one of the most visible victims' rights advocates out there. But John only became an advocate because his son, Adam, was viciously murdered. On July 27th, 1981, six-year-old Adam went to Sears at the Hollywood, Florida mall with his mother, Revy. Revy left Adam in front of an Atari display while she went to go and look at a lamp, which is something a lot of mothers did. When she returned, Adam was gone. She searched for Adam and she ran into her mother-in-law. And they both searched together and had Adam paged Adam disappeared at 1215 PM, but police weren't called until 1.55 PM nearly two hours later. On August 10th, Adam's severed head was found in a drainage canal in Vero beach, approximately 130 miles away from Hollywood An autopsy revealed Adam had died from asphyxiation. The rest of his remains were never discovered there were a few theories of who killed adam one of them was jeffrey Dahmer's father believed his son could have been adam's killer but Dahmer denied it pretty much saying hey listen i confessed to all these other murders why wouldn't i have confessed to adams in the end the notorious serial killer otis Toole was fingered as adam's killer and john walsh agreed I'm not going to tell you the long, drawn-out tale of Tool on this episode. The man was a sick, sick bastard and is now, thank God, roasting in hell. Adam's case was officially closed in 2008. In 1994, Walmart created Code Adam, and today it is implemented in retail stores, grocery stores, museums, hospitals, and other facilities across the United States and in Canada. And in 2003, congressional legislation mandated federal office buildings and military base exchanges, which are kind of like Walmart's, adopted the program. Code Adam goes into effect whenever a missing child is reported within the building. A detailed description of the child is taken concentrating on the child's shoes because it's easy to change a child's clothes in a retail store but not so much their shoes and all exterior doors are locked and monitored a code atom is paged throughout the store with a description of the child and employees stop whatever they are doing and look for the child if the child is not found within 10 minutes the police are called if the child is found they're returned to their parents or guardian. If the child is found with someone other than their parents, the police are notified. Once the police arrive, the police take over the investigation. There's also the Adam Walsh Child Protection and Safety Act, which was signed into law by President G.W. in 2006. The act took sex offender registries of individual states and combined them into one entity that could be accessed across the United States. It also created educational funding for state and local authorities to assist in recognizing and policing attempts to victimize minors online. It created sentencing guidelines, implemented harsher sentences for crimes against children, and provided resources to assist states in keeping sexual offenders with the low probability of rehabilitation off the streets. I know that all of that may seem like a big duh for a lot of you, but you have to understand. Just a few decades ago, offenders who committed sexual crimes against children were sometimes not given strict sentences or were actually released early, which let them offend again. Back before the population at large really understood that sexual offenders don't stop and only escalate, a man convicted of only touching a child could be released early because, hey, he only groped a kid. No big deal. There's a sex offender registry. It'll be fine. We know where he is. It wasn't fine for Jessica Lunsford. In 2005, nine-year-old Jessica lived with her father and grandparents in Homosassa, Florida. Jessica was a bright girl. She loved the stuff purpled off, and her father won for her at a state fair, and she loved going to her church youth group on Wednesday nights. On a Wednesday evening, a family friend dropped Jessica off at her grandparents' house after youth group, and Jessica went to bed around 10 p.m. that night. When her father came home the next morning, Jessica was gone. While Jessica's father searched for her, her grandmother called the police. At first, both Jessica's father and grandfather were suspected of Jessica's disappearance because Jessica disappeared from her bedroom, but they were eventually cleared, especially when there was an L-shaped cut discovered in the sliding screen door, which is a common tactic amongst burglars uh, when they're trying to break into a house. A frantic community, the police, and the FBI searched for Jessica for three weeks. Authorities even questioned local sex offenders within something like a three-mile radius, and they marked each one off their list, except for one. A sex offender named John Cooey was not at home when police went to question him. In fact, the residence Cooey reported as his residence was abandoned but his sister lived right across the street from Jessica and her family. The FBI tracked Cooey down, and he admitted to the kidnapping. He kidnapped Jessica from her room. He raped her, and then he buried her alive with her purple dolphin a mere 150 yards from her home before Jessica's father even returned home the next morning. Cooey was convicted of Jessica's murder and was sentenced to death. Unfortunately, he died of natural causes in 2009. The fact that Cooey was a known child sex offender, wasn't monitored, and received many prison sentences, but was released early, inspired Jessica's father to help pass Jessica's law in Florida. The law mandated harsh penalties for criminals convicted of specific sexual crimes committed against children age 11 and younger. If those prisoners were happened to be released later on, They would be tracked by GPS monitors for the rest of their lives. Nearly all 50 states have passed Jessica's law or laws very similar to it. I know some of you have been asking, or at least thinking, where the sex offender registry came from. It's called the Jacob Wetterling Crimes Against Children and Sexually Violent Offender Registry Act. And yes, it was named after a murdered child. On the evening of October 22, 1989, Jacob Wetterling, his brother, and a friend were riding their bikes home from a grocery store in St. Joseph, Minnesota, where they had rented a movie when a masked man approached them with a gun. The man told Jacob's brother and the friend to run and kidnap Jacob. No one saw Jacob again, though an extensive search was conducted of the area. Police did believe the man who kidnapped Jacob was the same man who kidnapped and sexually assaulted another boy just nine months before. The man used a gun to abduct his victim and then told the boy to run after the offender finished assaulting him. There had been other attacks on children in the same general area in the late 1980s. Many people were questioned, but police never found Jacob or Jacob's killer. That all changed in 2014, when a true crime blogger picked up the case and started bringing more victims to the police's attention. With pretty much all the victims, the M.O. of the offender was the same. He would abduct the victims using a gun and then would tell them to run when he was finished. In October 2015, the police identified a man they had originally questioned soon after Jacob's disappearance and collected a DNA sample from him. Danny James Henrik's DNA matched the DNA evidence in the assault of another boy, but the statute of limitations made it impossible to arrest him. But that didn't stop the police from getting a search warrant on Henrik's house where they found, no surprisingly and disgustingly, child pornography. Looking to make a deal and plead to only one count of possession of child pornography rather than 25 counts... Henrik confessed to Jacob's murder. The night Jacob went missing, Henrik had abducted the boy, handcuffed him, drove him 30 miles away to a gravel pit where he molested Jacob, shot him, and then buried his body. Henrik took the police to Jacob's burial site, where the authorities uncovered Jacob's remains. Sickening enough, prosecutors agreed not to charge Henrik with Jacob's death, and Henrik was sentenced to 20 years for the possession of child pornography. Henrik is now 59 years old, so there is a chance he could be released before he kicks the bucket. Jacob's parents, Jerry and Patty, started an advocacy group for children's safety just a few months after Jacob was kidnapped, and Jacob's law enacting the first sex offender registry list was signed in 1994. It was updated several times, including with Megan's Law, named after Megan Kinka, and the Adam Walsh Child Protection Safety Act. Guys, I wanted to tell you about Megan Kinka and the laws named after other children, but I don't really have the heart to continue. I cannot continue to describe the tragic ways these children died and... I I can't research any more of this right now. All I can say, you know all those episodes of Law and Order SVU you've watched throughout the years? Yeah. A lot of those are real and don't even come close to showing what these children went through. I I think for this episode, I'm I I'm gonna stop it there. For now, I just wanna say pay attention. Don't just keep an eye out for your child, but every child you see, don't stop them from having fun, but just keep them safe. And I'm not going to end the episode like this. not going to do that. There's a difference between ending an episode with a deep thought, and there's one with ending it with all this stuff. And Maggie's right next to me, and she agrees with me. Um, in one of my bonus episodes, I introduced you to some true crime heroes. I think I want to wrap things up and I want to introduce you to some kid heroes. In the summer of 2013, 15 year old Tamar Boggs. Yes. Thank you, Maggie. Was hanging out with some of his friends when they heard a five-year-old neighbor girl had gone missing. Believe me i've known a few teenage boys and some adults as well who would have just shrugged their shoulders and gone off with their lives not tamar and not his friend chris nope they jumped on their bicycles and started patrolling the neighborhood looking for the girl that's when tamar spotted something off he noticed a car avoid a police checkpoint in the neighborhood and then watched as it started to make random turns onto streets known for their cul-de-sacs. Tamar gave chase on his bike and managed to get close enough to see the girl in the car and then make direct eye contact with the driver. Tamar spooked the driver so much that the abductor stopped and let the girl go before speeding off. Tamar held the girl, assured her she was okay, and then delivered her safely to the police who reunited her with her family. If you Google Tamar... You'll come across some trouble he ran into a few years later of his own doing, but I don't want to let that diminish what he did here. Smart did exactly what I've been telling all of you to do. Pay attention. You could save a life. And here's a story about a kid who actually listened to his parents and end up saving his mom's life in 2013 in North Carolina. Five-year-old Caleb Taylor was napping the back seat of his mom's car when he woke up and discovered his mom was having a seizure while driving. Caleb unbuckled his seatbelt, leaned over the front seat, and steered the car to the side of the road. At five, when the car came to a complete stop, he put it in park and turned off the ignition before going to find help. His dad had previously told him if Caleb was ever in a moving car, like a runaway car, try to put the car in park and turn off the ignition. A passerby called 911 and Caleb and his mom went to the hospital. Caleb's mom is fine thanks to her five-year-old's driving skills. And I wanna leave you with this one, which you've probably heard before. On a summer day in 2021 in Wyoming, Six-year-old Bridger Walker was outside playing with his four-year-old sister when a random dog charged at his sister. Bridger didn't hesitate. He stepped in between the dog and his sister. He was bit multiple times on the hands and face before he could grab his little sister and run for safety. Bridger was rushed to the hospital where he received 90 stitches to close the wound on his face. He said... If someone had to die, I thought it should be me. And those are some pretty intense words coming from a six-year-old boy. Bridger has received plastic surgery to correct some of the scarring. But not all of it, because he thinks the scars are something to be proud of. Even if he doesn't think he's a hero. He actually said he thought that he could do more to protect his little sister. That, ladies and gentlemen is a mark of a true hero. And I'm crying. Uh, Several of the cast members of the Avengers and people all over the world have reached out to Bridger to tell him, yes, sir, you are a hero. Okay. Oh, gosh. So do you guys have any, um, like, kid hero stories? Um, I want to hear them, and I want to share them. I, I think this... Would be something nice to end some of the more difficult episodes with. Uh, If you do have those, email me at thehistorybehindthecrime at gmail.com or message me on Instagram at thehistorybehindthecrime. Finally, I do want to do a few shout outs. So I discovered this one today. Y'all, we've gone international. So hello to our friends across the pond in Germany and in the UK. I'm going to do my best to do a few international stories just for you guys. I also want to shout out to an old childhood friend of mine, uh, Rihanna, who tunes in and is also the person who really introduced me to Star Wars when we were in middle school. Everyone, Rihanna is going through some tough times right now with cancer. But I have no doubt she's going to come through because she's a fighter. If you can, send Rihanna some positive vibes or prayers. I'm sure she'll appreciate them. And on all those notes, and kind of making a short episode this week, um, that does it. Uh, Next episode, I'm going to make you question whether you've ever been in a cult. So until then... Maggie thinks that you guys should take care of yourselves and take care of each other.